Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Dan Albrick. I am uh, with the Leopardo Construction. I'm on the uh, program's co-chair along with Jeanette Outlaw with OFS. Um, today's program is being podcast, so there, will be, there is going to be a, a section of Q&A that, uh, that our speaker will uh, facilitate. Please raise your hand and we will have one of these microphones uh, brought to you so you, everybody can hear the question and then we can capture the moment in our recording. Uh, as Stephanie had mentioned, next month we will be taking our summer break, and I know I could use one, so can our committee. And we will focus on the rest of the year and some great programs then coming up uh, looking into 2010. Okay, so September's program, as Stephanie had mentioned, is Tales from the Trenches. Well, it's kind of a nice thing. It's going to be a lead-in to the summit in Las Vegas. And we're kind of, we've started to talk with a few people and the moderator that we do have is Bill Agnello. He's a retired vice president of real estate for Sun Microsystems. And kind of the topic as we had, had uh, met with him last week is really what's the next big bet? So that's kind of our kind of theme from the Tales from the Trenches, the next big, big bet. And it's a perfect lead into this Las Vegas summit. And then following will be the Thursday, October 8th. That's gonna be a focus on sustainability. And then uh, we'll look at. Then we'll do our uh, look back in November as well. That kind of our annual program in November. So today's program, we always at the end of these, give you forms to fill out, rate the speakers, rate the topics, ask for new ideas, ask for new topics. Well, we've took taken a look at this, and it's always the economy, the economy, the economy, stimulus package. What's happening? How do we understand this? So that's what we've, we 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 listen to that. So we we want that feedback every time. We'll be passing around these forms at the, end of the, at the end of the presentation, and we encourage you to continue that so we can continue to tailor these programs moving forward. So today's program, the economic stimulus, how it went and where it's going regionally and nationally. Our speaker is Randy Blankenhorn. Randy is executive director of the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning, which is responsible for land use and transportation planning across seven counties, Cook, DuPage, Kane, Kendall, Lake, McHenry, and Will. The agency's vision is to develop a comprehensive framework for the region's future uh, through long-term regional plans and strategies to provide high-quality information and analysis through coordinated technical assistance to facilitate regional decision-making and to build the consensus by identifying and advocating regional priorities. Prior to, to joining the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning, he had over 20 years of experience in the planning, development, and implementation of transportation infrastructure projects for the Illinois Department of Transportation. Here, Randy uh, is responsible for 1.9 billion public transit operating and capital program, 145 million airport capital program, 15.5 million railroad capital program, 18 million intelligent transportation system development program, and a 45 million planning program. These programs were developed in cooperation with modal divisions of IDOT, local transit, airport, and planning agency, local elected official, officials, public interest, environmental organization, and federal partners. Let's please welcome Randy Blankenhorn. Thanks, Dan. I'm good. I, I'm not sure I've ever read that, uh, that bio introduction. I didn't know that's all of what we did. Uh, I want to spend just a few minutes today uh, talking to you about a couple of things, and mainly about stimulus and where the Recovery Act is going. Uh, I also want this to be conversational, so I'm going to start up here, but I'm likely to be wandering as, as this thing goes on, uh, because I want to hear from you and what you think is important, uh, questions that you have that we can talk about, where this is headed, how it helps the economy, how it doesn't help the economy, what it's doing, what it's not doing, and I think that's really where we want to go today. Uh, I want to talk for a few minutes about, because I can't believe that more than a handful of you know who is CMAP. Anybody? One, two... Better than I thought, about a dozen of you. Uh, CMAP was created about four years ago uh, by the Illinois General Assembly, and I've been asked as I, as I came in, what are we? Are we a, a part of state government? Are we uh, a not-for-profit? We were created as our own unit of government. Uh, not that Illinois doesn't have enough units of government, uh, but we were created as one uh, separately, so that gives us some aut autonomy. Uh, we're not part of the state, we're not part of the city, we're not part of a county. Uh, we are our own government. We, are, we have a 15-member board of directors that are appointed by mayors and county board chairs. About half of our board members are elected officials. The other are from our business and civic community. So it's a very nice mixture uh, on a board. Most of the boards that I've dealt with in my government background in the past 
have always been elected officials. And having the business community, having the civic community as a part of our board really brings a, a new and refreshing insight into how we should be operating. While we are a government agency, we don't act very much like a government agency, at least we hope we don't. Uh, we're not structured that way. Uh, we're not, we don't think about it that way. Uh, when we were created, in fact, uh, the law said that I was supposed to have a deputy director for transportation and a direct director for, deputy director for comprehensive and land use planning. Well, we're supposed to be merging these. Why would I have separate staffs doing separate things? And so we're really set up more in a, in a project management type of a firm where we take what we have, the skills that we have, the people we have, and we're very project-oriented rather than siloed. Uh, and we think that's worked. We've been lucky in hiring uh, a number of bright young people that come in right out of graduate school with a couple of years' experience to us. I have energized the agency, and, and we think we're headed the right direction. We do have some uh, uh, issues uh, in the way we're structured. Uh, for one thing, to make sure that we come to consensus, which is a goal, I think, of most government types of agencies, uh, I have to have 12 out of 15 votes to pass anything, including the minutes. Uh, so it truly is, how do we get something that can work uh, as an agency, how we can move policy forward, and it truly then makes it not pitting the city of Chicago against the suburbs, or Cook County against DuPage County. We have to come together on what's best for this region, what makes sense for this region, and so far that's worked. Uh, we have had only one vote in my three years that had more than one no vote. Uh, and so. Uh, we really are trying to do that. We're trying to build it in that way. Uh, we're really designed to, to think about our future differently. Uh, we had predecessor agencies you might have heard of. CATS, the Chicago Area Transportation Study, did transportation planning. NIPSI, the Northeastern Illinois Planning Commission, did land use and comprehensive planning. Uh, they were both 50 years old. They were both pioneers in their day. Uh, but the time had come by our elected officials, by, mainly by our business community, saying we can't plan this way for the 21st century. It doesn't make sense to plan transportation over here and land use over here and economic development over here. We need to do this together. We need to think about it together. We are one global region. We are one economic region. And I am surprised continuously about how the Chicago region gets that where many other major metropolitan areas don't. It's not Schaumburg against Waukegan. It's not it's that Aurora against Chicago. It's us against India and China and Brazil for jobs, for economic development, and our local leaders get that. And I think that's unique, at least, in, at least in the Midwest. So that caused our creation. And people ask me, so what is it that you really do? Uh, we don't have land use authority. We don't have zoning control. That is a local government prerogative. Uh, so what do you do? How do you, how do you make that? And we say what we want to do is change the way that people think about investments, the way they think about development decisions, the impacts those decisions have on their neighbors, on traffic congestion, on the environment, on business and the economic future of this region. Think about those ramifications and let's think about them together. Uh, we really do think that we are headed that direction. We do think that uh, people get it. Uh, I'm going to talk at the end of this about our Invent the Future and Go to 2040, which you see up there, which is our comprehensive plan, the region's truly first comprehensive plan uh, since Daniel Burnham. And so where that heads and how that fits into, I'll kind of conclude with that. That's the warm-up. Uh, stimulus, and I'm going to start with what is it and what isn't it. Uh, I think that many of us thought, as we talked about and heard about the stimulus, it was sold as an infrastructure bill. Uh, putting infrastructure work, fixing our basic infrastructure, the infrastructure that, that really is the major competitive advantage of the Chicago economy and the Chicago region's economy, it is not an infrastructure bill. There is significantly uh, more money going to many other things than there are infrastructure. And as we talk to Congress, as we talk to elected officials at the local level, we warn them that when you talk about this bill like that, at the end, people are going to say, my street still has potholes on them. Where did $800 billion go? And I think that's a reasonable thing for us to be asking. Uh, what were we trying to do with this, in, with this program if it truly was an infrastructure program? And what didn't happen? It is not, and I, I think we have to be realistic that it's not. It pumped some significant money into this region, uh, almost a billion dollars in highways, $400 million in transit, uh, hundreds of million dollars in water and sewer work, uh, school construction. Those are infrastructure projects, but it also bailed out states, and it put money into Medicare. Not unreasonable things, but not infrastructure. And so 
we were looking at how we sell this and how we as an agency deal with this and what is our role as a regional agency. Uh, we were probably ahead of this game more than, more than at least any other metropolitan regional agencies of what it is we wanted. Our board went, came up with a set of principles for what a stimulus package should look like in November, uh, right after the election. We knew this was coming. We wanted to be out front and say, here's what it should do. Here's what's important. Here's why it matters to Northeastern Illinois and Chicago. And those things were, yes, create jobs, but more importantly, create lasting economic value. Uh, our concern, and I think we're seeing some of this today, is that we are going to put people to work this summer, but we're not enhancing the economic environment enough so that we can put people to work next summer. And how do we do that? How do we make that work? How do we think about it? And really a dichotomy of, of, in a way of thinking of, A, shovel ready, because that's what this, the infrastructure part of it was all about, is what is shovel ready versus what brings lasting value what brings economic, economic progress to this region and to the country. Our second point in, in our principles was that jobs and the economy are based in metropolitan areas. 78% of this country's gross domestic product is in the top 100 major metropolitan areas. We are the economy. Metropolitan regions are the economy. And if you're going to help the economy, if you're going to create jobs, that's where it needs to be. And we said that uh, certainly we are not leaving our rural and downstate brothers out. Uh, there is a need for money to go there. But if you're going to focus investment, you need to focus it where jobs are. You need to focus it where economic development can happen. And you need to, you need to really stimulate economies in those regions. Uh, I will be honest, to this point, that has not happened. Uh, the New York Times had a front page article this morning about the highway program that less than 50% of the funds to date are going to major metropolitan areas, even though we have 75% of the population and 78% of the, of the gross domestic product. That's a problem. Uh, it's a significant problem that our national leaders, our state leaders in particular, don't get. Uh, we'll get through probably a little bit of how this money's flowing, uh, but it flowed from the government to the states, from the, from the federal government to the states. And they had the discretion, for the most part, of where that money was spent. And they have, they have spent it, and I think they used it in the, in the Times article this morning. They spread it like peanut butter so that everybody gets a little, and it's not really going to solve anybody's problems. And I think that's where our concerns were. That's where our concerns continue to be. I've said over and over, it's great if we, re, if we resurface a highway in Rushville, Illinois, because it's going to put two people to work for five days. Uh, but what happens after that for the, next, for the 500 people that are actually driving on that road? Uh, where, where are our priorities? And I think one of the things we're going to learn from this stimulus process is we need to set priorities differently. We need to talk about what problems we're trying to solve. Putting money on the street isn't the answer. We're supposed to be solving problems, and we need to be more focused in how we're solving those problems. And I think that's one of the lessons that we will learn from that. The other is we've got to talk about project delivery differently. Should, in fact, the money go straight to the states so that they decide? Or should it go to metropolitan regions? Should it go to cities? Should it go to those that can put projects on the ground quickly and that can actually put them inside of a bigger context of where they're going? Where, where are we trying to make investments? We talked at our table about, well, we, we're getting to do some things with highway and other infrastructure money that's been you know, waiting and languishing. Uh, you might have read that Illinois is first in obligating its federal highway funds, uh, stimulus highway funds. And there's one reason. We haven't had a capital program in 10 years. We had a backlog of projects ready to go, waiting to go, that we were unable and unwilling to fund. So I guess we can be proud that we've obligated the money, but it's because we weren't doing our job. Uh, but we look at that, and, and even there, we tried to tell the state of Illinois, the law only says you need to obligate 50% of it within the first 120 days. Let's think about the second 50%. We understand we have to get projects out the door, but let's think about the next 50% of where we can add value, where we can actually stimulate the economy, where we can create jobs, where we can create a new economic environment, that's what we should be doing. The state basically decided not to do that and spread the, pe the peanut butter all over the state. So we are disappointed in that. Another one of the issues that, that we are concerned about is there's all this talk of accountability. Uh, and accountability, in this, this is going to be the most accountable program that there is. Uh, it depends on how you define accountability. The way the federal government is defining it is we're going to tell you where we spent the money, therefore we're accountable. That's transparency. 
that's different. Transparency is important too. Accountability is, did we get the results that we asked for for spending almost $800 billion in taxpayer money? That's accountability. And that's where we're going to be looking as an agency about what are we getting over the long term, not only over this year, but over the next two, three, four years, what are we getting for the money that came to Illinois? Did we spend it wisely? Did we make good decisions? Are we putting people to work? Are we, in fact, creating a better, a better economic climate? Um, we think this is vitally important, and to a certain extent, the federal government has missed the boat in the whole accountability issue. Uh, it's, again, it's about tracking where the money went, not about deciding if we're actually solving problems. And I think that's where an agency like CMAP has a responsibility to look for that, at least for this part of the region, at least for this, uh, this global city that drives the whole economy of the Midwest. That's kind of the bad news. Good things are happening. Uh, we are putting people to work. We are spending money. Uh, we do have programs that uh, are going to roll out over a, a little longer time. Uh, and energy issues in, in the Neighborhood Stabilization Program, which we're le uh, leading, that's going to deal with foreclosures uh, at the residential level. Uh, we're going to be looking at workforce development as a huge part of where the stimulus is headed and what it's doing. Uh, but those are slower programs to roll out. Uh, they take time. I think that, that we had a conversation at our table that uh, projects were ready in a lot of ways. The system wasn't ready to deliver it. Uh, we talk about procurement process at the federal level and the state and local level that take time. And they take a little more time than any of us would like, but there's a good reason that they take time. Um, it's unreasonable to say we're going to put projects out there in 120 days when it takes 180 days to go through procurement. Um, you know, and that's where we found ourselves, and that's where some of the state and federal agencies are finding themselves, is that the, re the expectations were a little unrealistic, unless at the same time you were going to reform the procurement process. And, and I think that is something, another lesson learned out of the stimulus, is that we've got to be more nimble in procurement. We, still, we have to protect taxpayer money. We've got to make sure that it's accountable, that where the money is spent is spent wisely, that the process is fair, the process is equitable, but processes can't take 8, 9, 12, 15 months and expect that we're actually going to get things done in 6 or 7. Uh, so another one of those lessons learned of what are we getting out of it and how do we, how do we make that happen. Uh, we are very pleased with some of the activity going on at the state and at the, mainly at the regional level, not only here but around the country, about trying to, to use programs together, to build on each other. When we're talking about the neighborhood stabilization or the foreclosure program, for example, at the same time we're talking about how do we put energy efficiency money into that same, into that same neighborhood? How do, we put, how do we make sure that we're doing transit improvements in neighborhoods where we have low-income housing so that we have access to transit? We're not, just, we're not just rehabbing homes out here in the country where it doesn't matter because people can't get to work anyway. Uh, so we're really trying to make sure that we're looking at programs across those lines, and that's really what CMAP was created to do. I think that's really why we were asked to be as involved as we are. Uh, we're very concerned ab about how we're going to spend workforce development money. Uh, we are in a knowledge economy, and we have to figure out how we're spending this money wisely. Uh, we've got to talk about not only jobs of today, but we've got to talk about the jobs of tomorrow. Uh, we talk about things like education in a, in, this, in a way that doesn't make sense on the ground, and we've got to figure out a way to do that through not only our, our, our secondary schools, uh, but also through our junior colleges and our university system. How do we make education work in the long term as a, as a way of making better citizens and in the short term of preparing people for jobs, not only today's jobs, but tomorrow's jobs? How are we nimble enough in an education system to do that? How can we use money from, from the stimulus programs that aren't just for construction, but to create new educational opportunities? How can we use that to, cre to create tomorrow's workers, and how do we do that in a way that makes sense? It's an, it's an important part of what we do. We think on the infrastructure side uh, that we need to be thinking again about, about our issues differently. Uh, we are still building a 20th century infrastructure system for a 21st century economy. Whether we're talking about roads and bridges and transit and, and airports, whether we're talking about water and sewer, whether we're talking about open space, all the basic infrastructure of our region and our communities we are not thinking boldly enough. We are not thinking long-term enough. And the stimulus program should have been an opportunity for us to think that way, to think about how do we use additional money that we didn't count on 
to not just repair the roads that were out there that are awful, and they are, and we needed to do something about them, but how do we leverage that into a future? How do we leverage that into a new way of thinking? How do we leverage it into creating the kind of a system that we want and that we need, not for today and not for tomorrow, but for 2040? And how do we get there? Uh, so while the stimulus has given us some opportunities in a lot of ways, we've missed them. And I think that's unfortunate. Uh, we've missed opportunities to spend money in where we can actually make a difference. Uh, we've missed opportunities to leverage it in ways that could have been useful across different, different kinds of activities. And we've missed it as a way to think big and to think bold and to think differently. Uh, that doesn't mean it's over. Uh, we, we do believe, again, that there is significant good that's going to happen out of this. The stimulus package isn't over. There are still a number of programs that don't even have proposals out the door yet, uh, particularly in, in the energy and particularly in the housing areas, uh, that are still to come. And so how do we learn, how do we take what we learned from the infrastructure side and really move it into the rest of the stimulus package? How can we learn the lessons of we have to do more than take care of today that we have to think about tomorrow? And I hope that's what we will do as we move this forward. Um, I think that what I'd like to do, if it's okay, is to stop and ask and, and do a little bit of Q&A, and then I want to talk about where we're headed with pulling all this stimulus into our planning for the future. So, but I don't want to mix them up. So should we do some Q&A? Is that okay? Thank you. Owen? Yeah. Um, just from listening to, to the news this morning, uh, I, under, I understood just from what I was hearing on CNN that um, most of the money that was uh, supposed to be released uh, as part of the stimulus really hadn't been released, and it's kind of caught in uh, bureaucratic red tape, I don't know, in the federal side or on the state side. Is that true here in Illinois? And if, if so, what percentage has actually been released for use uh, up until now? And is there a problem that you see? I think there is a problem. I, I think it's not an unaddressable problem. But if you get outside of highways and transit, which where almost all of it in Illinois has been released, if you get outside of that, almost none of it has been released. And it's, it's part of the, it's, it's a problem at the federal level and it's a problem at the state level as well. It's, it's a, they both have their issues. One is the, the guidance of program guidance hasn't come out from the feds. You know, what is it that we want? What are we trying to accomplish? Uh, how do you score projects? That's just not out in many cases. In other cases, it's out, and the state is trying to figure out how do we deliver this program. Uh, we just uh, got noticed uh, two weeks ago uh, that on the energy efficiency program, the state EPA didn't know quite what they were going to do with it, so they're going to give it to regional agencies like ours and let us decide, which is fine. Uh, but if we don't have that same guidance of what were we trying to accomplish, we're happy to make our own. Uh, we're happy to say, here's what we think is important. But this, this all needs to be inside that national context. So um, it is a problem outside of the transportation. The transportation is moving along. Whether they're the right jobs or not is, is a question we can talk about. Uh, but that is moving. Beyond transportation, it's really not. Yeah, Randy, uh, <clears throat> a follow-on question to Sharon's. I'm still uncertain quite. How does a project get into the queue and get who's approving it and how does it actually wind up in the procurement system? What, how does that work inside Illinois? How, how it's worked, uh, at least on the transportation programs, on many of the water and sewer infrastructure projects, the infrastructure side, uh, it's, it's worked out of projects that they have had already in the queue. Uh, we talked again about this at our table, that we haven't had funding for capital improvements in the state for 10 years. And so, we had a queue of projects that were engineered, that were ready to go, uh, that basically moved up into the system, that were scheduled for two, three, four years from now, that were truly shovel ready, and we moved them up into the system. My question is, what happens to that backfill? What happens to that, that chunk of money that was available for that project in three years? How do we program those dollars? How do we put projects into that queue? And I think that's where we're trying to think about it in that bigger way. Uh, what are we trying, again, what are we trying to accomplish, not are we trying to get money out the door? So, but I'm not sure I'm totally answering your question. Yeah, the, the question is, do, does our agency actually approve that for highway and transit projects, we approve those projects, and that, that puts them into the queue. 
Any other questions? Hi, Randy. Uh, Chris Mannheim. Um, I, uh, another follow-up question is, is how does the stimulus money follow through with you, helping you out with the 2040 planning? I think that's an area that a lot of communities don't quite understand, the, the regional planning aspect. Yeah, I, I'm going to talk about the GO2 2040 plan and what we're doing in that, but let me, let me tell you how the stimulus at least has started us thinking about it. Uh, again, the stimulus package is what are we doing now? What are we going to do over the next year? What are the next two years or the next three years? Uh, we call this GO2 2040. I call it the plan for the 21st century. Uh, that's really what we're planning in that. But the question is, how do we use the stimulus program? How do we use the projects that are in it to really give us a solid base to move forward from? And that's, that's really how we're looking at it. We're looking at it as ways to, uh, again, learn uh, from, I think, some of the mistakes and some of the the ways we're thinking about the stimulus package, how we evaluate projects for the future, we are going to do differently because of the lessons we learned from the stimulus package, how we decide what, how, what goes into that queue and what gets prioritized in that queue. So I think that's, that's a learning experience that we've had. I think that uh, what we've done through the stimulus package in a lot of ways is create confidence that we know what we're doing as an agency. We're new. We're three years old. Uh, there are people that most of you didn't know us and don't know us. Uh, but being on top of it, showing expertise, showing that we can get this done, showing that we're thinking about it inside this bigger picture has really given people confidence that we're headed in the right direction with the 2040 plan and where we're going there. So um, the direct correlations are tenuous, uh, but I think it's building that base of where we're headed today and then building on that on where we're going tomorrow. Randy, I wanted to ask you to help us benchmark the level of infrastructure need here in Illinois. As an example, nationally, the American Society of Civil Engineers is saying that it's going to take about $2.2 trillion over five years to bring us up to an acceptable level. $1.2 trillion is just to maintain the existing infrastructure. Do you have a sense of what, how Illinois looks in that, within that picture? Uh, in, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. Um, I, I think when we talk about uh, transit, for example, uh, we have about a $12 billion hole in, in our need in transit uh, over the next five or six years. Uh, that's not just to maintain what we have, which is necessary. It's to make improvements. It's to do extensions. It's to make transit work in this region and work better. Uh, so it's about a $12 billion hole. Uh, if we're looking at the highway side, uh, we're probably looking at a hole somewhere of, and it depends what you consider necessary. Uh, do we need a new bridge over the Mississippi River in St. Louis? Probably. Is it necessary? Maybe. Uh, do we need one in Rock Island? Do we, need, do we need to build an Ileana Expressway? Do we need to extend Illinois 53? I mean, so how you put this into, into the equation, I'm not really sure. To maintain the system pretty much as it is in a state of good repair on the highway side, uh, we probably have a whole approaching uh, somewhere of, of 20 to $30 billion. Uh, on the water and sewer infrastructure, uh, particularly, this is all locally owned and maintained almost. Uh, all of it is, is at a local level, so it's a little harder to get on. But this is 50, 60, 100 years old. Uh, they're leaked, the pipes are leaking. We have combined water and, and wastewater and sewer systems that don't work anymore. Uh, you know, we're looking at probably a, a $15 billion hole just in northeastern Illinois. Uh, so we're talking about significant backlog of investing in infrastructure. Uh, we're investing nationally somewhere around 1% of our GNP in infrastructure. China is investing 7, India is investing 9. Uh, they are growing economies. They have to build more infrastructure, but we're out of whack. Uh, it's not working. And to be perfectly honest, Chicago is, is a global city, is a global region, is part of the global economy because of our infrastructure, whether it's transportation or water. We exist because of it. It is our economic advantage in a global economy, and we need to take care of it, and we're simply not. Yes. So to kind of shift back to what you were talking about earlier and using the stimulus funds, how does an agency like yours draw attention to, and again, you're focused on the Chicago region, 
how do you draw attention to that actually stimulating the economy so it gets beyond just filling the holes and creates real growth long term? And, and that, that really is the question. And right? I think that's where we're looking at the whole accountability versus transparency question. We need to be able to show that either it did meet our needs or it didn't, and where it did and where it didn't. We're going to need, we have a new transportation bill that's, that's coming up. If you listen to Chairman Oberstar by the end of October, if you listen to the White House in two years, uh, but it's going to come up sometime, we would need to be able to go to Congress and say, here's what the stimulus package did and here's what it didn't do. Here's how you need to create a new transportation program for highways, transit, airports uh, that takes advantage of what we learned. Of if we're just investing in this peanut butter approach, what are we getting? If we, if we focus our investments, how do we do that? How do we do it in a way that makes sense? So it's up to us, it's up to, and, and we're not, uh, we work pretty well with the other major metropolitan regions in the state. We get together, in the country, we get together on a regular basis to talk about this, and we're not alone. Uh, this, this is going on all over the country. Uh, we need to be able to tell Congress, but we also need to be able to tell the taxpayers. Uh, at the end of the day, we've got to convince the taxpayers that they should invest in infrastructure, that they should invest in building and growing the economy in, out of their pocketbooks. Uh, and it's a, it's a story that we're going to have to tell over the next two years uh, based on what we learn and based on what we actually accomplish in the, in the, in the last two. Hi. Um, it, it seems like the the way the stimulus um, regulations or guidelines were set up, it it kind of stacked the odds against it having any lasting value because even the even the second round of funding, which is supposed to be the more long term, if I understand correctly, is still has to be spent within what a, a year, year and a half or a year after. Depending on the program, a year. Yeah, yeah, so no road could be built, you know, right. no road could be even planned in right. that period of time, so it's impossible. So you're only talking about resurfacing. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right, and this is, this is the, the, the conflict that we've had as an agency. Uh, again, stimulus package of putting people to work, good idea. We need to put people to work, we need to put them to work now, uh, versus that long-term impact. Um, we needed to resurface our highways, but to be perfectly honest, we're not doing anything different on that highway other than putting some black paint on it. Uh, you know, where, how are we building jobs? How are we creating new business opportunities? We're not. Uh, and so that's where we were trying to get the state to begin with, and I think we'll be talking about this at the national level for a long time, of you missed the boat. You missed an opportunity here to do a little bit of both. Put some money out there to get people to work today. But let's think about that economic value. And there was absolutely no opportunity to do that in the highway program, almost none to do in the transit program, and to this point, very little in, in the water program. So uh, again, I believe a missed opportunity. It is that conflict between the administration's goal of getting money out the door quickly, putting people to work quickly, versus rebuilding the economy. Just a quick question yeah. related to the we talked about, uh, well, I guess, the Sears Tower or now Willis Tower and how they received some of these funds coming in to improve, I guess, the efficiencies of the building, greening the building, sustainability. Was there, what was the role in that? How did, the, how did the money get put into a project like that? And are there more projects in the city of Chicago related to these sustainability and energy efficiencies? There will be. Um, again, there, in both energy efficiency and, and other energy programs, there will be opportunities uh, that, and those will come through, through mostly our agency. Uh, the money will flow to us, but we'll be working with local governments. We, won't, we wouldn't work directly with Sears Tower, especially since we're a tenant, uh, uh, you know, but we would work with the city of Chicago in that case. So they would make an application to, to do energy retrofits, to do uh, a lot of the things that they're talking about doing in Sears. Uh, in a suburban location, it could be Hoffman Estates or Schaumburg or Joliet. That's where the money would actually flow to, and that's where the application process would go, is to those local governments. And likely it would be, and uh, uh, we would hope that it would be on some kind of a request for proposal basis. So again, we're getting the best bang for the buck uh, that we're spending. Yeah. So on, on the 
Yeah, I think we're going to talk about that. Well, you should. Yeah, specifically, uh, we as I told you, we found out two weeks ago that this program was going to come through us. So I don't have a whole lot of details yet. But our our intention is, you? you can absolutely you can call me, absolutely. Uh, our intention is to turn the money around quickly, uh, and and get things going. But uh, I, I can't tell you because I haven't even seen what we're supposed to be. I will. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, how do you guys interface with Chicago 2016? That's the first question. Second, uh, if we don't get the Olympics, uh, how do you change the planning accordingly? Well, I, I asked if I should bring this up, and they said, I'm sure it'll come up in Q&A. So, uh, <laughs> I was, I was personally actively involved in the, in the bid process. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to make a, a presentation to the evaluation committee, and it was an interesting experience, to say the least. Uh, I, think, uh, I think that the Olympics has the opportunity to do great things for this city and this region. Um, you can talk about the negatives. You can talk about, well, what if we don't do procurement, right, and people get jabs. And I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to talk about the, op the opportunities that it brings. Uh, and it brings great opportunity to this community. It brings us the opportunity to move projects forward on transportation and other systems that would take decades to do. Uh, we need to think about how we improve our transportation system to access the games. We've done the games in the right way. The venues are all very compact. They're already adjacent, for the most part, to public transportation uh, because you're not going to be able to drive to the games. Almost fell. Um, so, so they've done that, but how do we improve that? How do we... As a, as a visitor to the Olympic Games, if my first uh, introduction to Chicago is going from O'Hare to downtown on the Blue Line, we better make that work well uh, because it's, it's an opportunity for people to get to know Chicago, get to know that we are more than Michael Jordan and Al Capone, uh, that there are good things happening here and there are good business opportunities here. Uh, so there's that. There's the opportunity to redevelop what I think is the next part of the city that's ready to go, and that's the new South Lakefront area where the village would be. Uh, so there are tremendous opportunities for that. There's built opportunities to build communities differently that we would have, it would take us decades to do. So I think it's a good thing. What happens if we don't get the games? Uh, I think that then we figure out how we implement it anyway. Um, and I know that's hard, and I know it's going to take a long discussion. But if we decide through the Olympics that this is the right thing to do because it's the right thing for Chicago and for the Chicago region, not that it's the right thing for the Olympics, but if the Olympics don't come, we need to figure out how to move it forward anyway. And I think that uh, we have a business community here in Chicago. We have a civic community here in Chicago. We have government people in Chicago that want to move a vision. And I think the Olympics is going is to help create that vision. And we hope we get them so we can move it. But if not, we have to figure out how to do it anyway. Uh, my take on where we are, it is only Randy Blankenhorn's take. It means nothing to anybody else. I don't speak for 2016. Uh, I think we got a great chance. Um, I think that uh, we're, we're in the right spot at the right time. Um, I think that uh, we are prepared for this games. I think that we can make it happen. I think that one of the things the IOC wants is to, to know that we'll be ready. They've had some bad luck lately at last minute putting the games together. Uh, this is a city that gets things done, and I think they like that. I think they appreciate that, and hopefully that'll, that'll help uh, tilt the scales at the end. Well, let me, let me step back for a minute and talk about what we're doing as an agency in this comprehensive planning process. <clears throat> I was here maybe two weeks, three weeks, and uh, if you haven't noticed, it's the 100th anniversary of Daniel Burnham's plan of Chicago. And some of you can know where I'm going. I, I see you laughing already. Uh, and I was invited to a meeting of the committee that was planning the celebration. And they said, when is your plan due? When is the plan that you have required by law due? And I said, the fall of 2010. And I said, that's you know, right on the heels of you know, the, the celebration of the plan of Chicago. How does that make you feel? And I said, it scares the heck out of me. It, it makes me nervous that you think that we will create the next plan of Chicago. And people said, that is what we expect. Now, we don't claim to be Daniel Burnham, uh, but we do think that we need to live on, on, in that spirit of trying to do things differently, trying to do things boldly. 
Um, and, and I think that we took that very seriously. While uh, we are not going to create a plan of Chicago, we need to create it in that spirit. And this anniversary of Burnham has given people a chance to talk about what planning means and what, where would we be if we hadn't followed some of the things that Daniel Burnham put out in the plan of Chicago. Where would we be with the lakefront? This, this ribbon of parks, the forest preserves, the, even the highway and transit system that exists because he drew it. Our question is, when we look back 40 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, will people say we made the right decisions? We made the right choices. We planned this region in a way that's not for us, it's for our children and it's for our grandchildren, and it will work through the generations. So our goal is to build on that Burnham legacy. Our goal is to be bold. Uh, I was very pleased we had a board meeting uh, about three weeks, three months ago when we laid out as a staff where we thought we were headed. It's always dangerous of a staff, for a staff to get ahead of a board. Uh, and so we told them kind of the things we were thinking about. And they said, singularly, be bold. Be implementable, but be bold. Don't think too small. Don't come back four years from now and say, wow, we wish we would have, we wish we would have stepped another step forward. Let's think in that way. Let's think boldly, but let's not just dream. Let's think about how it gets implemented. This plan is different than almost any regional plan that you will see. Uh, we've got great ones out there that win awards and look pretty and sit on coffee tables and nobody ever reads them and nobody ever cares. Uh, this is going to be an implementation strategy, not a plan. We already have a vision, a shared vision for this region. We all pretty much know where we want to go. I like to say the, the, the residents of Northeastern Illinois get it. Now we need to get it done. We have that shared vision. We've got to talk strategically about how we get things done. And that's really what GO2 2040 is going to be about. We live in difficult times. We live in tough times. We need to think about different solutions. I talked about a building, continuing to build a 20th century transportation system and a 21st century economy. We've got to think about things differently. We've got to think new solutions, and we can't be afraid to do that. Uh, Daniel Burnham was not afraid to think about what was coming in, in the next decades, not just about where we are today, and that's what we need to do as a region, and that's what we need to do as an agency. This is not our plan. It's not CMAP's plan. It's the region's plan. It belongs to you, and you have to help us create it, and you have to help us implement it. And that's really what we're talking about in this process this summer of Invent 2040. Um, it's, a it's a time that we're going to be out talking through a number of mechanisms about what do you think? What do you think about this region? What do you want to leave for your children? What's important to you for your grandchildren? How do we build new communities? How do we build new cities? How do we build a new region that works together? How do we build a new region that creates jobs? How do we create an economic, uh, an economic system? That, that rewards everybody. And so that's really where we're headed. We're going to talk about things in this plan that are different than other regional plans. We generally talk about land use and transportation. We might talk about environment. We might even talk about housing a little bit in regional plans. We're going to talk about taxation. We're going to talk about tax policy because development decisions are driven by tax policy. We have a Walgreens on one corner and a Starbucks across the street and a strip mall in the middle, not because that's what our community wants, but because that's what drives our tax policy. Our, our local governments are dependent on sales taxes to run. And so that's the kind of development we get. We get the kind of residential development that we get because that's what funds our schools, not because it's always what we want. We need to have this conversation as a region about incenting things that actually are the right policies rather than the other way around. I'm not going to suggest that at the end of, this, at the end of our process of GO2 2040 next fall, that we're going to say, here's the new tax system and here's what we ought to, it ought to look like. But we are going to have a conversation about it. And to be honest, we're going to make people uncomfortable when we talk about it. But it has to be done. We have to have this conversation. We're going to talk about education in this plan. Uh, I don't know of another regional plan that does. But we can't talk about economic viability. We cannot talk about being a global region if we don't talk about educating our children and if we don't talk about lifelong education and training. We need to do this. We need to talk about a system that works. There have been, I don't know how many studies done about the failures of, the, of a school system here in Illinois and in Chicago. We've got to do more than talk about it. We've got to talk about solutions. We've got to talk about answers. And we've got to start moving in a direction. We have to prepare our young people for tomorrow's future. And we're not doing that very well. And we're certainly not doing it equitably across this region. So how do we do it? How do we think about it? 
These are the conversations that we want to have with you over the summer. Uh, the Invent the Future process really looks at, at three different ways you can get involved. Uh, if you've been to Millennium Park uh, to look at the, the, the sculptures and kiosks there, we have a kiosk there that you can spend six, seven minutes and just give us some thoughts. We ask two questions. It's very interactive. Uh, it gives you three different follow-ups and you see really what it means. Uh, you can do it through a workshop that we're having. We have 50 workshops scheduled around this region over the summer, which are range from an hour to two hours, depending on the, the group we're with, where we get people together to talk about it, again, in an interactive way, uh, where you see the results of the decisions that you're making. This plan is about trade-offs, and it's not, it's about investment trade-offs, it's about policy trade-offs. We, we want you to be able to understand what those mean. If you make decision A, what does it mean for traffic congestion? What does it mean for water usage? What does it mean for taxes? We want you to see what, what, the, what the ramifications of those decisions are. So that's the second way. The third way is you can get online and do it. Uh, Goto2040.org is the website. Uh, I hear it's actually fun. Uh, it's hard to say that about most planning things, uh, but we've, we've really had uh, a good experience with people that have gone on, used it. Uh, there are three scenarios that we've created uh, that basically we've created for you to just react to and say, here's what I like about scenario A, and here's what I like about B, and here's something you didn't even talk about at all, and so I, I can build my own scenario of what the future looks like on, on our website. Um, and so we encourage you to do that as well. Um, it's important that we hear from the business community. Uh, we're going to hear from the environmental community. We're going to hear from local governments. My concern is we don't hear enough from the business community, and that's important. Uh, it, you, are, you create jobs. CMAP doesn't create jobs. The business community creates jobs. The, the commercial and, and, and residential real estate community drives our development processes, which drives the way our communities look. We need to have a conversation with you about what is important to you in this future. What makes your business work better? What makes the communities that you work in look better and, and, and run better? How do we have this conversation together? Again, it's not my plan, it's not my agency's plan, it's yours. And we need to talk about it with you. So we encourage you to do that. Uh, the, pro the, the public involvement process and outreach process will be going on through September. Uh, again, we will have a, a new plan by next fall. Uh, and so we want to spend that time in between talking about what it is that you believe. Uh, as I go around and talk to people around this region, and I do this a lot, uh, people care very much about 2040 and about the future that they have for their children and their grandchildren. They just don't really have time to talk about it. They don't have time to think about it. They're worried about the kids' school. They're worried about keeping their job. They're worried about things that are in their day-to-day -day lives, and I don't blame them. That's, that's vitally important. All we're doing is asking you to spend a few minutes and talk and think about what's going to be important and what's going to make this region great over the next 20 or 30 years. So thank you very much for having me today. Um, I guess if there are, do we have time for any follow-up questions or about the plan, or I guess we do. So I, I'm happy to answer as long as you're willing to stay. Hi, Randy. Uh, Larry Barkley again. I, I just want to communicate uh, that I truly enjoy your spirit, your energy, your enthusiasm, and your mention of 2016 and the Burnham Plan really excites me and thank you for doing that, number, number one. Number two, your committee, is that open to the public for people to uh, participate? Or, yes. or, or observe, anyway? Yeah, uh, about our story, all of our, all, everything that we, we may be the most transparent agency in the history of, of quasi-government agencies. Everything we do is on our website. All of our meetings are open to the public. Uh, we, if you are interested, we have a, a set of working committees. Uh, one of our members is here. Um, that we call them working committees for a reason, as she will attest. It's, they actually, we actually make them work. Uh, they actually help us develop policy. If you have an interest, and they range from transportation to land use to housing to economic and community development, if you have an interest in participating in one of those committees, we would love to have you. Uh, so again, contact me. We're, we're glad to do that. They meet every month. Uh, they generally meet for two hours, and it's, it's not just listening to staff talk. We make, we make you work. So. Uh, but we think that's important to bring people in and to get them to, to buy into what we're doing. Uh, I appreciate your comments. We're, we're very excited at this point in time as an agency. We think that there is incredible opportunity because of what's happening with, that, with Burnham and, and bringing planning to the forefront because of the potential of the Olympics. 
because we have a president from Chicago, uh, and maybe more important, a chief of staff from Chicago, uh, we have opportunities here to really do things differently and really make change. And uh, we, we want to we bring you along with us in that process. You're, this is RJ. Uh, you really hit the nail on the head about uh, having to look at things differently. Um, and, and one of the challenges that, that I see is that the, the evolution of the United States, the way we grew, was by expansion. And in part, that whole idea of expansion is part of the problem with the way that, that we find ourselves right now. With You're talking about the peanut butter approach with roads. Well, there are a lot of roads in, in, in Chicago, but if you go to the country where I grew up, um, they probably have as more roads per capita than we have in, in Chicago. So the infrastructure uh, evolution there is, is, is incredibly expensive. How do we go back and look at and say, you know what, that was a mistake. This what we did over here, this, this isn't working anymore. We need to make evolutionary changes mm -hmm. and Rock Island is not gonna be there anymore. We're gonna do something different. How do you, <laughs> how do you, how do you go and look at yeah. that to be able to come up with the new ideas that take the house that was battered in the hurricane, do you just fix it up and try and hope right. to make it through the next one, or do you make in major infrastructure changes? I, I, you raise a good point. I'm not going to go as far as to say what we did in the past was a mistake. It drove this economy for a long time. And, and so I think the, the real question is, that economy is gone. That way of doing business is not coming back the way we knew it. And so how do we adjust and how do we think about that future? How do we think about people moving without just automatically thinking we've got to build a new road for them to get from point A to point B. How do we think about, we're going to add 2.8 million people to this region by 2040. 2.8 million people, a third more than we have today. Where are they going to live? How are they going to get around? This is an opportunity to think about that, to think about, about building communities that can work with transit, about building communities. We talked earlier about I have this vision of, of a new downtown, not just in Chicago, but in every community where people not only go to drop off their laundry and stop at the bank, but they stay and, they, and, they, and the kids play and there's a place to go. That's what we want, those kinds of communities where it's a sense of place. How do we do that again? How do we build that again? And how do we provide infrastructure that supports that? Uh, we, have to, we, we have to be very careful about infrastructure expansion. Um, there's going to have to be some. Uh, I think, I say that, you know, we're going to have to build some new highway capacity over the next 30 years. Can't add 2.8 million people and not do it, where it's a mess out there already. But we've also got to change habits. We've got to change the way we think. We've got to give people real options, real alternatives. Um, if I, I live here in the city, I wouldn't drive unless I have to. And let's make that option available for everybody else, that they only drive if they have to, or it's the most convenient way, not that it's the only way. And so what we're trying to do in this plan is to change the way we think about travel, to change the way we think about what our communities look like. Uh, we have used the word density, the dirtiest word in American history, I think. But we use the word density, and we don't mean density in, in you know, Plainfield, Illinois, that looks like Chicago. But we need, we need to talk about appropriate density so that they can have a downtown that works, so that they can have a, a transit system that can actually, actually serve them. And that's the way we have to think about the future. Are there any other questions? Okay, please, uh, you guys have the surveys, the yellow, yellow sheets around. Please fill those things out. Let's give a nice round of applause for Randy. Thank you, Randy.